Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glicksman with my tag team partner, Matt Story. And we have plenty of Sweet 16 action to get to, Matt. But before we do, the NFL is going to let replays happen for things that are obvious. Yeah, yeah. I, I like it. What do you think? I think it's the right call. You know, we, I do too. You know, the the one that I'm so you know I'm not surprised that the owners rejected the 32 to zero coaches approved plan of uh, referee of common sense basically sky to, judge or whatever yeah, yeah to sit up there yeah. and you know when there's an obvious blown call to be able to buzz in and say yeah, uh, yeah. obvious blown call there there were 12 guys on the field that is pass right. interference uh, there was a, a delay of game you know. Which, which I don't really have a problem. I mean, I, I, I'm not surprised, I guess, that it got rejected, but I, I don't see what's wrong with that because, you know, you, you point those out. Those are, those are things that we, you know, 12 men on the field, for example, has been a challengeable call, reviewable, and we got to stop and we got to have the official come over and look at the monitor and put the headset on. And, you know, I mean, one of the, everybody's concern with this is, oh, the games are going to take forever. Well, that would be a way to me to speed things up. I think, um, uh, I mean, it, it certainly could be if you, if you executed it right, you know, you just, you just have them, you know, just page down and say, Hey, you missed one there. Call it. Boom. Done. I mean, you know, do we need to have a, a, a long review? Couldn't, couldn't that person have, have just buzzed down and said, Hey, you missed that pass interference. Throw a flag and throw a flag, move on. And, you know, it takes 10 seconds. Well, and especially if you combine that with the ability to challenge. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I know, the, I know the concern a little bit with that is, okay, you know, who – does this guy have the ultimate say? Does the official on the field? Who is this, this guy, this eye in the sky? You know, are we going to have one at every game? Are we going to have somebody in the league office? Uh, you know, I mean, you, you have the fear of the, the Woody Dixon uh, Pac-12 – you know, who is this person making these decisions? And I, I get that. But um, I, I, I think that would have made sense. But, I, you know, I like this change. Uh, I think it's uh, out, you know, past due. Um, and, again, you, you still limit the number of challenges. I don't, I don't want every single play to happen and you got to stop and say, well, was there a penalty on that? No, nobody wants that. But, you know, if you see something obvious and you want to use one of your challenges – well, you better be darn sure you're right, first of all. So I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of them. You're not going to see it happen on a you know second down in the middle of the first quarter. Yeah, and I I think overall it is overwhelmingly a positive development. Yeah, yeah, I I do too. I I think I would have gone a step further and just said everything is you know, up for challenge. If you want to challenge roughing the passer, you can. If you want to challenge holding, you can. Again, limit the number of challenges. You get three. So, you know, are you likely to do that on a, you know, I think there was holding there, but not, probably not. Maybe you will. And if you want to use one then, by all means, go for it. Yeah. But uh, they didn't go there. You know, of course, they. it's always kind of a half measure. Just pass interference calls or non-calls, I guess. Well, and it's a one season and then we'll revisit, which I, I think it's interesting that they made such a big deal about that because it feels like every rule is that, is that in way. the NFL. Right. I mean, that's what the, the kickoff rules were last year. 
um, and and they just extended them, you know. So most of the time they do these trial runs. It, it is going to continue. Um, uh, you know, I suppose it's not the worst thing in the world to try it out. And, and you know, look, with, with everything like this, there's an unintended consequence. And there probably will be. There very likely is going to be something that happens in a game next year. And we're going to say, uh, boy, is that right? But we saw something that happened in a game this year, and we know it's not right. And so I think, you know, you if you have the ability to get it right, you get it right. And we do have that ability now. This is not the 1970s anymore. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think it shows growth by the NFL to be willing to do something. But as you said, I guess it's not surprising that they only went with the half measure because they can tweak it. And, they can. Yeah, yeah, they can. And, and you know, I, I, I will say this, it's less of a, it's, it's a half measure rather than a, you know, one-tenth of a measure, which is, you know, at the beginning of the week, that's what was re- being reported. They're going to have, you know, just called pass interferences that could be reviewable in the last two minutes. Like, come on. I mean, that is that is closing the barn door after the horses are out. Let's just take the exact scenario that happened to the Saints and make that reviewable. But it, And not even really that because it was a non-call, so you couldn't challenge that. But the exact timing, I mean, that, that was crazy to me uh so i give the coaches credit because apparently they are the ones who kind of you know bonded together and said we got to do more than this we can't you know and i'll say this one thing that surprised me about this is usually when things cause an uproar by the time it gets adjudicated two months later everybody's forgotten and the coaches apparently did not i think the owners banked on everybody forgetting but they brought it back to light and brought the ruckus and and that's what caused this change to happen, it sounds like. Yeah, the noise was brought on them. It was. <laughs> it was, yeah. You know, I mean, they they started the they started the fire to uh, you know, answer the question that Dr. Bill asked us many, many years ago, who started the fire. They started it and, and kept it going and and I uh, I I'm glad of that because again, you know, many times we do this in sports, you know, something is, is highly controversial. We, you know, we do it every year with college football. You know, we don't like who's in the title game, who's in the playoff. Everybody's upset. We got to have more teams. And then by March, it's like, yeah, who cares? You know, and we're good. Uh, you know, so it, it was kind of refreshing that this uh, stayed a point of contention for some people enough to actually make a difference. Yeah. I think that, well, one, I think Dr. Bill ruined a perfectly good Billy Joel song for me. (laughs) Um, Yes, yes. But I also think that it shows that, much like we talk about the players in the NBA are flexing some muscle, that, you know, everybody has their own power base in the league. Right, right. And if you all stick together, you can you know, force a change. And that's what we right. saw here. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because coaches have been a group that, uh, has been considered relatively powerless, you know, with the, with the labor agreement, that was the group that everyone was like, well, boy, they, they didn't get what they wanted. You know, players got what they wanted. They got more time off. Owners got what they wanted. They got more share of the pie. Um, coaches were kind of left without a, a you know, seat at the table in the last labor deal and probably will be again. But they, uh, they seem to be ready. Now, what could they have ultimately done if the owners had said no? But I, you know, I think enough of them have their owner's ear 
Sean Payton obviously being a, a you know big one uh, that's got mm-hmm. a tremendous stature in New Orleans, you know, with the, what he's done and the tenure he's been there. Belichick being another. Um, then I think enough of them, you know, got in their in their owners' ears and said, "Hey, we got to do more than this. We cannot just, you know, band aid this. We got to do something to try to actually change this." Yeah, it's um, it's impressive, and, and I hope that yeah. it's progress. I- It'll be interesting. You know, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Uh, will you, you know, will you see a game uh, end with an incomplete Hail Mary and then, you know, everybody has to stay on the field while we look at it on, on review? Probably so. Um, is that ideal? No. But, again, nothing's ideal. I mean, there is no perfect solution. It's to go back to the comparison, you know, I just used with the college football and how we determine the national champ. There's no perfect solution. You know, you just try to get the best solution possible. And I think this is a, a step in that direction. Well, and as you've talked about and we've talked about with the rules and rule enforcement, it, you just want to be consistent so everyone knows right. what we're playing by. Right, and, right. And so if that's what we're playing by and now there is pass interference on, you know, Hail Mary's. Right. Oh, okay. Then, then we'll learn to play with that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think that's okay. Um you know, and and I, you know, look, this is not just the Saints that were victims to this. I mean, there is there is one just about every week that you see a call. And I mean, I remember the Saints played the Steelers, and they were the recipient of one late, late in the year. Um, deep ball thrown to Alvin Kamara. They call pass interference. It get, you know gets them down to the one yard line. They were probably about midfield. They get a touchdown replay. He didn't even touch him. They they both jumped for the ball. Kamara fell to the ground. They didn't touch him. And that's the type of call that you look at and think, well, that changes the game. And that one, I mean, you know, the Steelers lost that game by less than one score. And they missed the playoffs by one game. And and so that's an extreme example. But, you know, if that call is not made, do they win that game? Maybe. And if they win that game, do they go to the playoffs? Maybe. And things feel different. So, you know, get it right. The obvious missed calls, those are the ones that I think this is good for. The ones that are judgment calls, and a lot of them are, are probably going to stay as they are. But those type of calls, the NFC title game, the Steelers-Saints game, we can get those right. So this gets us closer to that. Yeah. Um, the NFL is going to play next season, and we know that because they're making rules for next season. The <laughs> AAF may not play next week. That is my segue attempt. Uh, <laughs> well, I think they're going to play this season out. Um, I mean, I know there's been some. There's only three games that, in the playoffs, but right, three three weeks left, and you know they've got they've got old old Jerry, you know, involved in the championship game now. He's got hosting it at his at his practice facility there in Frisco. Um, so I think they're going to finish out this season. But yeah, there's there's been apparently some doubt cast on the future. I, for one, am unsurprised that the NFLPA doesn't want their under contract players playing in this league. Well, I mean, I like I see what the guy is saying. It, it's a great idea. You and I, I think have discussed just this idea that, you know, what would help is this to become a legitimate minor league connected like if you I think you were the one who made the comparison to the Arizona Fall League where, you know, you've got teams that feed in, you've got some coaching representation, you've got maybe some training and equipment and you know all that type strength and conditioning and all that um but you've got to plan you got to plan that ahead of time like you can't just 
You can't, you can't just, just declare it so. No. I mean, this all has to be collectively bargained. You have to get the teams on board. You have to get the the players on board. Um, you can't just say, hey, the NFLPA owes us players, and if, if they don't give us players, we're going to shut this league down because the NFLPA is going to say, okay, they have nothing to lose if that league shuts down. Absolutely nothing. I mean, they're not they're not part of the league. <laughs> so, yeah. so, I mean, it, it's, it's just short-sighted that, you know, well, they should just jump in and, and help us out. Like, it's, it's not that simple. Do, do I like the idea? Sure. But, uh, you know, and can it be done? I think it can, but it, it's, but it, it but takes some time. For it to be done, you have to be not just a handshake deal with the NFL. You need to be in the right. system. You need to right. be the minor league. There needs to be yes. NFL you know, assistant coaches running this and NFL training staffs and, you know, very specific rules and and more over on some level over the top safety measures, you know, the no kickoffs, the, you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta address, you know, I mean, you know, one thing I read today was, you know, players, players associations worried that what, well, if a guy gets hurt in the AAF and he misses a whole year, does he lose a year toward, you know, accrued free agency time? That's a good question. A minor little detail, but an important detail. Um, you know, so you've got you to collectively bargain this. You've got to have, you know, rules that address how many guys can you send, what, you know, what years they can be in. I mean, you can't, you know, you're not, you're never going to put it over that, you know, oh, a six-year guy, you know, is going to the AAF. It's not going to happen. You have it like baseball. I mean, they have rules in the fall league that don't you have to be, you, you, know, have, you, you have cannot to, have a certain amount of service time. It has to be right. less I mean, than. you know, it basically has to be guys who have barely played in the majors, if at all. Yeah, and um, you have you to know. be on the 40-man roster, and, you know, right. which means you have to have a contract. Right, right. You know, so there's there's rules to this, and, and you know, it's just not something that you can overnight say, you know, well, okay, yeah, next year we're going to have, you know, uh, 10 players from each roster come to our league and help us out. Well, and, and the, I mean, and honestly, the NFL could look at the NBA and the G League right, and, and the did. way and, and start with how they started as the D League. There weren't right. one team per every NBA there was team. Not. No, it, you no, know, I mean, there wasn't even tie-ins. Yeah, it kind of slowly developed, and teams started realizing, hey, you know, we could we could buy one of these teams and move them closer, and, and you know, and pick and the coaches ourselves, right? And, right, and and. I don't think the AAF needs to have 32 franchises by any means. No, but if um, they if they melded it with the Fall League where every yeah. team We've got eight, sent, you've got eight teams right now, yeah. so it's easily so divided. Every four NFL team sends four, and yeah. you do two from each division per team or something, yeah. or from yeah. each conference, rather, per team. And Maybe you make some, sure. some type of regional alignment, but not not overlapping divisions i suppose i mean you know you probably well don't you want could that. have the you know the afc north the nfc north and then right two the yeah. nfc east and afc east one team from each division feed in you know i mean there's a way to do it you're not again you're not calling guys up mid-season so they really don't need to be completely geographically aligned uh baseball isn't geographically aligned anyway when you are calling guys up mid-season um you know but i suppose you probably you know you're not going to want the uh you know, the Bears and the Packers and the Lions and the Vikings to all be represented on the same team because, you know, who's, who's making those decisions? And, you know, I, I get that. But, well, and the Fall but, League sends the coaches, and that, and that to me right. is a question. 
either if every team sends their assistants, you're just going to play very vanilla, but guys will get in-game coaching experience. That's fine. Um, Or you don't do it that way and you have the league hire coaches and, you know, you you do basically what they've done now. You have a bunch of former NFL coaches. Right. Who... College coaches. Yeah. 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 I I mean, there's a way to do it, but I just think this guy is... I mean, let's not forget that this guy who's making these statements was not a part of the league until, you know, two weeks in when they apparently, you know, their, their first investment fell through and they needed somebody to, you know, provide them some capital. So he wasn't even a part of the foundation of the league, but like, I almost get the feeling that he is, you know, after six weeks or so realized I am, I am plunging a lot of money into something that, you know, the attendance stinks. Um, as you would expect, I mean, it's minor league sports. It's not going to be great. TV ratings have fallen off a bit from the, you know, early peak where everybody was like, well, this is great. And I mean, that's not to be, that's, that should not be surprising. One, we're in a busier time of year for sports than we were in February. And you know, when it first comes on in February, football just ended. People aren't really getting into college basketball yet. Um, you know, there's no baseball. Now it's the competition. You know, college basketball's on every weekend, big games. The NBA is coming toward the playoffs. Baseball's starting. You're, you know, you're not going to keep that traction. Plus, the quality isn't very good. It's like watching a preseason football game. You know, you watched initially, and then you realize, these are a lot of guys I've never heard of, and I have no care who wins or loses, so why am I watching? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm a perfect example. I watched a fair amount the first two or three weeks. I, you know, I, I didn't watch one full game. But I would turn it on, I'd watch it, you know, but the last couple weekends, and then I'm, I'm watching college basketball on these weekends. I'm not watching minor league football when the, when the NCAA tournament's on or conference tournaments are on. Just not doing it. And if we were better, I would segue now to the NCAA tournament, but I have another point I want to make, and that's yeah, what yes. yes. Um, I just don't understand the the idea that they came in with if they really thought they were going to get to be standalone from the NFL, but a developmental league. Right. And that, right. It, it seems like just a business model that was short-sighted. Yeah, I think it was. I, I think, well, I think it was in a sense. I, I also think, again, this guy, you know, I think he wants immediate results. He wants it to be something that it's not going to be right away. I think if you were patient with it, again, like the D-League, you know, 10 years from now, could it be that? Could it slowly become that? It becomes part of your, you know, collectively bargained agreement and, and you have, you know, tie-ins. I think it could, but it's not going to happen overnight. If you wanted it to happen that fast, you needed to set, you needed to get the NFL involved from day one. And you needed to say, you know, hey, we want, we want to do this. Let's do it right. What can we do here? How can we make this work? But you can't, you know, start year one and then seven weeks into year one say, well, we need NFL involvement or we're going to shut it down. That ain't going to work. Yeah. Because they will say, shut it down. Yeah, because they don't care. They don't need you. They don't care. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's it's just, uh, I I just get the feeling that it is, uh, it is this guy realizing I'm plunging a lot of money into something that's not producing much result. And I got to fix this now, and that ain't going to happen. And not to mention, I mean, let's let's call it what it is. If we have tie-ins and we send, you know, ten guys from each roster or something along those lines, 
you're getting bottom of the roster guys. You, you know, you might have more name recognition than you got now, but you know, you're you're not getting Tom Brady to go play in the AAF. You're not getting Lamar Jackson to go play in the AAF. You know, I mean, like you're just not. NFL teams are not sending their starting quarterback or starting running back or something like that. So, is it really going to you know make the league all that more fan interest if you've got uh, you know who, who's a you know who was the guy from the Packers a couple years ago, Joe Callahan? Yeah, uh, you know if they send him to go play there, is anybody really going to care that much more? Probably not. I mean, maybe a few diehard football fans, you know, I'd be like, well, yeah, I want to watch this guy because he's the third string quarterback on my favorite team. Well, and that's one of the, that is one of the hard parts about the tie-in. If you do it is unlike baseball where like every team I think gets to send two pitchers and two position players of their choosing. And then the league orders like, okay, who has a catcher? No one picked a catcher. We need two. You know, someone will have to send their, you know, their top guy. Right, right, yeah. I mean, it, you know, there's, again, I think there's a way to do this, but there's a lot of work that has to be done. It's it's just not something, you know, you, you and I have discussed many, many times, you know, the, you know, how can you let college athletes make money or pay them or whatever, and I, I, I feel like this is one that it doesn't have to be that hard of work. You know, that, that model's already there. This is there's a model there, but it's not for football. It's for basketball. It's for baseball. You gotta you gotta tweak it for football, and that's not easy to do. Can it be done? Sure, but is it going to happen in in eight months? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, there's just there's not the appetite to get that done. Yeah. So, unfortunately, I mean, if the guy's serious about this, and maybe he's just full of hot air. Um, or maybe the AAF is going to become the new Phoenix Coyotes, now Arizona Coyotes, where they'll just you know sell to a new owner every six months. Um, you know, it doesn't look great for the league if he's if he's serious about hey, I'm going to shut it down if if we don't have NFLPA involvement next year, then you're going to shut it down. I mean, they will call his bluff. Yeah, yeah, it's I don't know. It, it, it's too bad. And maybe the XFL 2.0 will learn from this, yeah, and yeah. make some changes. Although it sounds like they want to be the competitor, to, right? Which know. which is not going to work. I mean, they tried this before. Um, you know that, and and I know you know Oliver Luck has been a little bit more uh, tempered than you know than Vince McMahon, and it's they've kind of they've changed their approach from what they did in two thousand one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's minor league football and the only way to get people legitimately interested in minor league football is if you, you know, embrace that you're a minor league and know that and, and know your audience. I mean, you know, the XFL put, putting a team at, at MetLife stadium. Come on. I mean, you're, <laughs> the place is going to be, it's going to be playing know, in the grand it's gonna Canyon. Be 80% empty. You know, like, I mean, come on, that, that's, just doesn't make any sense. I mean, I know they want the big cities, but but that's the thing. Minor league sports doesn't work in big cities. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that you don't see you know AAA baseball in in uh, New York or Chicago or yeah. No, Phoenix. you see a single A team playing in Brooklyn, but, right? You know, right. You become uh, you know an an you become event. A, a, you know a small community thing. Yeah, but you know it's it, uh, you know like. 
there, there's a reason I think that baseball makes it this way. I mean, I remember when the Diamondbacks started and the Phoenix Firebirds shut down because you're, I mean, people are not going to choose to go to AAA baseball over Major League Baseball. Why would they? You know, I mean, yeah, it's a cheaper product. It's also an inferior product. So it just doesn't work. And I, I mean, you know, the XFL just, I don't get it. Uh, to me, the AAF was smarter in going to cities that don't have pro football for the most part, except for Phoenix and Atlanta. Um, but, you know, mostly bigger, you know, big enough cities, but not NFL cities. You know, Birmingham, Memphis, Salt Lake, good, good ideas. The XFL is, is trying to, you know, go big city, and I don't think that's going to work at all. Yeah. Let's, all right, let's stop beating around the bush and talk about the Sweet 16. All right, all right, we um, made it here. And before we get too deep into the matchups, how about a slight pat on the back for the Pac-12? Every team won a game. Yeah. Uh, you know, still has a team alive after the opening yeah, weekend. Yeah, better than the Big East. Big East is completely out. Uh, you know, same amount of teams left as the Big 12. Just one left. So, yeah, I mean, you know, not altogether disastrous, which, you know, most of the season has been viewed as disastrous and, and appropriately. Uh, you know, it's it's not an unfair rap. Uh, you know, the non-conference season was, was a nightmare for the league. Um, and in the conference season, no one really emerged. Washington was, was good, but tailed at the end. We don't know what else is really all that good. Um, so, you know, it's it's appropriate. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I am glad that the league is, has acquitted itself better than last year, that's for sure. Yeah. It's, I uh, thought you were going to say a slight pat on the back to me and you. Or, uh, you know, combining, we, we've got 29 out of 32 Sweet 16 teams here. Yeah, I, I was bested in the Purdue-Villanova matchup. I thought that the Big East and defending national yeah. champs would advance to the sweet 16. I was wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you got, you got everybody else. And I missed, uh, I missed Kansas who I made it to the second round and then got, got run. And I missed Wisconsin. I had them beating Oregon and then winning. So, uh, you know, I, I, uh, went seven and one both days in the, in the second round games. Not too shabby. I'll take it. Yeah. And, uh, though she almost certainly doesn't even know this podcast exists, uh, shout out to, Caitlin Burnell, who is currently leading with her mama bear bracket. Um, <laughs> I think we are right on her heels, though. Yeah. Ten points back or something, right? We all have, but we all have Duke, so it's got to shake loose between here yeah. and the national title. Well, I know you and I, though, have some differences on the way. We both have yeah. Duke over Carolina, but you've got Florida, Florida State, Virginia. Might, yeah. Florida State's your wild card, and I've got I've got Michigan and Tennessee coming out of those regions. So we'll we'll have our separation unless uh, none of those teams advance. We'll you know one of us will separate from the other based on those regions. Yeah. So if uh, all four of those teams get beat in the Sweet Sixteen, then I don't know. So I have my whole Elite Eight Final Four from our podcast Me too. alive. Me too. Yep. Have you seen anything that makes you change it at all? There's a few that, there's a few that I'm, I'm less certain on than I might have been otherwise. I mean, you know, you start, start you know, top corner there with the Duke region. Uh, obviously, they had a huge scare in round two. Um, and Virginia Tech, you know, that, that made me nervous before the, before the tournament started. 
if they got that matchup because it's a conference team. They've, they've played them, beat them this season, although without Zion. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a good team, and they know them. Um, so that one makes me a little nervous. Um, I'd stick with Michigan State over LSU. Uh, that one, uh, you know, again, none of these games, I'm like, oh, they're no-brainer. This is easy. Um, what about you in that region? You still got Duke, Michigan State? Yeah, I do. And I think... I think I'm going to stick with my picks overall, just across all of them. The only one, my my Pac-12 loyalty makes, <laughs> makes me really want to go and say Oregon's just going to keep rolling. There, By the way, yeah. Oregon right now is 8-1 to one to win the title, and ESPN yeah. had them as the number 15 uh, team that is still alive. Yeah, I... I think Virginia beats them. I, I think, you know, what is Oregon? They've made their run on playing really good defense. Well, Virginia also plays really good defense. And and so, you know, could could Oregon hold them to, you know, 55 points? Sure. But that might not be enough to actually beat them because Virginia is the same type of team. I think, I think Virginia, Oregon, and I think Texas Tech, Michigan are going to be games that, you know, if one team gets to 60 – that team wins and they might not see either team get to 60 because those are four good defenses and then they'll, you know, they'll play that style the way that they intend to. Um, so I, I'm still going Virginia in that one. And I think the one change I'd probably make is to take Virginia to go to the final four. Cause Tennessee's been shaky. They've, yeah. they've looked really good for stretches and then poor for stretches in both games so far. Yeah. I yeah I I think but I think you can say that now. Do you are are you rattled at all by Duke and and the little struggle? Bit, a little bit, and and not even so much rattled as almost it's kind of what I anticipated could happen. They it, it's hard to say this, and it seems weird to say this about a team with the you know the top level talent they've got, but they don't have a tremendous margin for error. Uh, they don't have a lot of depth. And if a team shoots well against them, as Central Florida did, or UCF, I should say, they don't like to be called Central Florida anymore, um, then they they can be challenged. And they were at times this year by you know by teams that honestly weren't that good. I mean, Wake Forest took them to the wire, uh, and and so a little bit. Honest, I mean, if I had picked not so much with rooting interest, I probably would have picked North Carolina at the start of the tournament. And if you, you know, hooked me up to a, you know, put, you know, injected me with true serum, I'd pick North Carolina to win it all right now. I think their their run and gun pace and their shooting is going to make them tough to beat for anybody. Yeah, they're playing well, and they did get Duke in the two early ones. Um, they did, they did, um, and I think they've got with with PJ Washington out probably. I mean, I know they haven't said that for sure, but with him out for Kentucky, I. I I might pick Houston to beat Kentucky based on that. Houston's played really well for two games. They haven't haven't been challenged. Um, and I, I just can't see how Kentucky could beat Carolina without him. They just don't have enough offense. Yeah. So I, I feel like, I mean, Auburn's going to give them a tough time. Auburn shot amazingly well against Kansas. And if they shoot that well every game, they'll win the title. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bank that they can't pull that off for four more games. And Carolina is such a you know such a similar style, but I think better than them. It's a it's a team that likes to run and gun too. I mean, 
the opposite of those other two games I mentioned. Like, I expect that game to be in the 80s, at least. Yeah. It, it, overall, did you find the opening weekend to be fun as a fan? Uh, I enjoyed it, yeah. Um, I, I thought, um, you know, that some of the... Some of the games that felt like they were headed for like classic endings didn't deliver at the very end. I mean, New Mexico State Auburn is a great example. Like New Mexico State makes this rally, and the end of that game was just like you know who could trip over themselves more. Uh, you know, New Mexico State passes up an easy tying layup to shoot a three, misses it, but Auburn fouls, giving them a chance to make three free throws. They miss two. The rebound goes out of bounds, they get it back, and then they shoot an air ball. I mean, it just was kind of like, boy, that game had all the makings of a classic, and it kind of ended with a whimper. Um, and there were some other games like that, you know. But there were some upsets. I mean, Irvine won, Liberty won, Murray State, obviously. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the second round, I would say, aside from that Duke game, which was the, you know, the talking point, wasn't really all that competitive. A lot of lopsided results in those two second-round days. Yeah. Which was surprising. You don't expect that as you go deeper in the tournament. You expect closer games. But it's you know you mentioned it last week when we talked, and we've said it almost every year we do this that you know you want you kind you know you love the Cinderella stories and the underdogs, but at the same time you want the best teams to be meeting. Well, we're we're getting it. I mean, the top twelve seeds have all advanced. Um, you know, fourteen of the top sixteen have advanced, and so. We should have good matchups. I mean, there should not be anybody who's in over their head, basically. Yeah. I I have to say, I thought that there were more blowouts this year. You know, games where teams were up by 25 or more. Yeah. Than I recall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're definitely, you know, I noticed it on Saturday. You know, second round day, um, LSU and Maryland was the first game, and that came down to the wire. And then Kentucky and Wofford was was close, pretty much to the end. And then every game after that was was pretty much a you know a decided with you know five plus minutes to go, some more than that. Um, and then you know Sunday again, the Duke game was really close, but a lot of the others were not. I mean, I'm looking, and I thought Texas Tech Buffalo would be a, you know down to the wire battle. That was a blowout. Um, you know, Irvine had the lead on Oregon with, you know, 12 minutes to go, and then Oregon just ran past them the rest of the game. It was, you know, in, never in doubt from that point on. Uh, Auburn, Kansas, I thought would be a great game. That was a blowout. So some of the games that, like, I looked at and thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch that game. That should be a thriller. It was almost like they were decided from, you know, the first 10 minutes on. Yeah. Um, but overall, it's still the most exciting time. Oh, sure. Sure. I mean, that's the, the beauty and the flaw, I guess, if you want to say it in college basketball is, you know, I mean, the masses and I'm, I'm one of them. I mean, I've, I follow ASU very closely, but I don't really follow college basketball nationally that much until about the end of February. And then I get into the conference tournaments and then that four days, Thursday to Saturday, and really two days, Thursday, Friday, when there's 16 games each, it's like, you know, your world revolves around college basketball. And then, you know, you kind of keep interested through the final four in a championship game. And by, you know, three days after, you almost have forgotten anything that happened. So it's good and bad. 
it, it captures your attention, but it doesn't keep your attention after it's over. Agreed. I mean, I re- I'm stealing that point. Somebody, somebody tweeted that out, and it was a very good point about, you know, Villanova's won two of the last three national titles. And, you know, how many people would even remember that? <laughs> you know, like in another sport, if somebody won two out of three, and be like, wow, you got a dynasty here. Mm-hmm. But with them, it was kind of like, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, okay, moving on. Yeah, how, how quaint for Villanova. I mean, yeah. I think that's part of, you know, the, the nature of college, though. You know, when Florida went back-to-back, they had all the same guys. Same team. You right. know, right. with this. It's... You don't see that anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Villanova had some guys. You know, Jalen Brunson was on both teams. I remember, um, you know, Phil Booth, who was still there this year. But but even then, I mean, you know, the guy who made the game when he shot was Chris Jenkins. He was gone. Arch Diakono was gone. Uh, you know, and, and the top teams, I mean, you know, Duke – you know, Duke's a great example. Duke was in the Elite Eight last year, and they're back at the Sweet 16 this year, and they have very few guys who are on both teams. Marquise Bolden was on both. Uh, I think Delorier. But, you know, last year it was it was Marvin Bagley, and it was Wendell Carter, and it was Grayson Allen. Those guys are all gone. Now it's a whole new cast, and next year it'll be a whole new cast again. Yeah, it's... So it's hard to... I mean, again, it, college basketball is a very odd sport to assess because the popularity of the tournament is very healthy. And I would say the rest of the sport isn't so much. No. Well, it doesn't have the year-round follow of no. football in college. It Definitely doesn't not. have the you know personalities that you get to know and hang with like the NBA because yeah. you know, Zion Williamson's not going to be at Duke next year. So Joe, all, no, all you know of these that. things, yeah. it's, you know. Yeah. I mean, Duke and Kentucky are great examples. Like, they're good every year. But it's almost always a different cast of characters that are making them good. Uh, now, now, Duke this year has been unique because even though they're all freshmen because of Zion and the hype that he had coming in and the fact that he's actually, you know, exceeded the hype. Well, him, Reddish, uh, and Barrett coming together. Yes, all together, and, and, you know, really, I mean, if it was Barrett and Reddish, I don't think they would have made that much of a ripple. But Zion was a YouTube star with the big dunks and the, you know, highlights and all that stuff. And then he's actually been a really good player. Like, I think I think people were skeptical of him coming in because, like, well, is he just a dunker? Can he really play basketball? Well, he, he's done that more. And, mm-hmm. and so it's captured the imagination, but it's that's hard to do. I mean, very few of these teams and these freshmen are able to do that and you know next year we're probably not going to have somebody like him he's he's a you know he's a once in a decade kind of personality that that pulls people into college basketball but you're right he'll be gone next year and he'll be playing for the Cavs or the Knicks or somebody else and he'll be he'll be a new a star in the NBA because of his you know name and 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 you know ability and all that but you know, it'll it'll be a whole new cast of characters. Duke, uh, you know, I'm sure all those guys will be gone. Maybe Trey Jones comes back, but the others, I'm I'm certain, will be in the lottery, and that's that. They'll be moving on. Well, and there's no one like I remember when Syracuse won the title, and Carmelo right. was a freshman, and he left, and and you're like, wow, one year, right. and he's playing for the title, and he's going right. pro. Now it's like, yeah, whatever. You don't even have to make the tournament to go pro. 
No, you don't. No, I mean, gosh, you know what we had. I mean, uh, two years in a row, we had the number one pick that didn't didn't make the tournament. Ben Simmons and and Markel Fultz. Um, you know, so yeah, you you don't. Um, it's it's just. You know, I certainly, you know, sometimes people play the, you know, oh, that sport is dying or, you know, college basketball isn't dying. It's, it's, it's fine. Um, but it's, it's certainly not what it was when we were kids. And I just don't think it ever will be. That sound makes me sound like an old man, I'm sure, but it will never be what we were, what it was when we were kids because, you know, the sport has forever changed with guys leaving after a year or not going at all, which we're probably headed back to soon. Yeah. Although honestly, okay. that yeah, I was gonna say honestly, that might be fine. I mean, I'm I'm not upset by that. Uh, you know, it's just and and change. fine for the game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, things change. You know, Patrick Ewing and and Jordan and those, those type of guys that stayed in college for three or four years. That is never going to happen again. And there's, there's just no going back to those days. I mean, that was the glory days of basketball when you had. I mean, I remember the Fab Five, and Weber left as a sophomore, and I was like, wow, he's leaving as a sophomore? Now, if you had the Fab Five, they'd all leave as freshmen. Every single one would be in the draft as a freshman. Yeah. Well, and... And you're seeing it somewhat with Duke this year. Well, and there's just too much money to be made that you can't make, or certainly can't above the table make. No, exactly, yeah. Right yeah. Now. I mean, I, I feel like... You know, and I don't, I mean, the guy's an all-time great player, Hall of Famer, but Garnett changed the, the basketball world when he came out of high school. Because I remember when Garnett made that decision, that was 95, we were 9, 10 years old, and he was derided. What are you doing? You can't go to high school to the pros. That's insane. It'll never work. And it worked. And he got drafted high, and he wasn't a superstar right away, but he was good. And the next year, Kobe and, and Jermaine O'Neal came out. They were both good. And all of a sudden, I think it, you know, it kind of triggered the, like, why are we going to college? Why are we giving, you know, two, three, four of our best years to play for free, essentially? Uh, and, and NBA teams started drafting them. That's the other thing. Like, you know, NBA teams snatched them up at record rates. Give me the young guys. Give me potential. And, you know, it just became the way it is. And there's no change in that mentality. You're not, they're not going to change everybody's mentality to think, you know, I need to spend three or four years in college before I go pro. That's not going to happen. No. And the other thing is set aside the rookie contract. It, you know, and I'm not talking about for first round top three guys. The shoe deal you get is more money than you're making in college. Right. Even if it's just ten grand, because you can't right. make ten thousand dollars in college <laughs> uh, legally. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, you know, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's just there's there's just too much obvious incentive to go pro. I mean, you, we've discussed it throughout the year about Lou Dort, and that's a great example. In the old days, not that but not that old of days, Lou Dort would be a three or four year guy. He's not ready to go to the NBA right now. Not a chance. I mean, you know, to come in and actually play for a, for an NBA team, not a chance. But the game has changed. And, and as you know, we go back to the G League, that's given guys opportunities to develop. And they're making some money and they're getting in a pro system with a, with a coaching staff and an organization that, you know, can develop them and get them playing time. You know, they're not just sitting on the end of a bench anymore. They can go to these G League teams and actually play. Real minutes, 
and and uh, it's it's completely changed the dynamic to the point where a guy like Lou Dorb, you think, yeah, it probably makes sense for him to go. Yeah, he certainly. If he's a first round pick, then you're talking guaranteed money. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, even if he's a second round pick, it's not guaranteed. But but he'll you, wind up in someone's likely, D league at worst. Right. So you'll be making some money. I mean, that used to be when this when this you know train of guys leaving early it used to be. Boy, if you're not a first round pick, you made a terrible decision because you can get cut and you're you're done. You're going and playing in Europe and you're you know you're living in a, a foreign country where you don't speak the language. That's not the way it is anymore. That that option's still there if you want it, but the, the G League has changed things a lot, uh, you know, and and it's given guys an opportunity to where if they don't make that fourteen man roster coming out of training camp, there's a, there's an option for them to develop to get better under the under the leadership of an NBA franchise, and maybe they become something. I remember um, Corey Joseph, who's who's a pretty good player now in the NBA. Spurs drafted him after one year at Texas. He wasn't ready, but they, they sent him to Austin. He spent most of his first couple years there, and then he ended up pretty good backup point guard. Then he went to the Raptors. I think he's with the Pacers now, I want to say. He you know, had a good career. That option wouldn't have existed for him uh, 10 years earlier. Well, and the other thing is, if you flip it around the other way, when there used to be no D-League, if you're out, you're out. Now there's, you know, like that guy on the Lakers, Andre Ingram, right. who got his second... Right cup of coffee at you know in his early 30s with the Lakers right, right exactly like, yeah yeah you know. I mean, it's a good thing it's a good thing for the NBA it really is He's giving guys who would have otherwise floundered either sitting on the end of a bench or getting cut and and never getting another opportunity it's giving them that opportunity now it's worked for everybody of course not you know some guys you just don't make it um there's only so many opportunities but it, it definitely is a good thing that guys are getting that opportunity but it, it's certainly changed college basketball because, again, I mean, we look at it from our own point of view. Uh, you know, James Harden stayed two years. There's no way in today's world that James Harden would have stayed for a second year. And that's only 10 years ago. Not that long. No mm-hmm. way James Harden would have come back for a sophomore year now. Uh, absolutely. You know, and the logic that, uh, you know, and the story they say about, oh, well, you know, they gave him this presentation that showed that you could make this right. much more and do this. It's like, yeah, it wouldn't have mattered. I, I it would not have. And it's, I mean, he's a success story in doing that. But, uh, you know, gosh, how many guys come back and then their stock actually falls, even if they have a good year? Yeah. Because well, it's like, well, you know. Jahi Carson, Vanderbilt, yeah. guys who came back yeah. for a second year and then left and. Right. They get drafted. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. I mean, it's it's it pays to go on potential, and and Dort's a great example of potential. He's got a he's got a, a body type that works in the NBA. Um, aside from from a jumper that needs a lot of work, and it does, he's got skills that translate to the NBA. He plays good defense. He can handle the ball fairly well. Um, you know, again, guys like him are a dime a dozen in the NBA, and that's true. He's got to separate himself somehow. But he's got the ability to to be a G leaguer for a year or two, and and maybe we'll hear from him again in you know twenty twenty one when he's coming off the bench for a good team. Like, oh man, remember Lou Dort? Yeah, sure, I do. Um, happens every year with these guys. They kind of they, they they're in college, they're a big name, and they come out, kind of lose track of them, and then two years later, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember him. Now he's in the NBA. How about that? 
Before we go, you texted me that you have started your quarterback analysis for our NFL draft extravaganza. I mean, to be fair, I started it in September, but yes. But, I, but I, in I've earnest. gotten locked in. Yes, exactly. The new, the new Mel Kuyper mock draft came out, and they have yep. number one overall Kyler Murray. Yep. Conspiracy theory hat on. Did ESPN tell him he had to put Murray one because it became a talking point? Or would it always have been a talking point regardless of where he put Murray? Probably regardless of where he would have, you know, because if he doesn't put him there, then they can, you know, make news out of, well, you know, why is Mel Kuyper not buying into the Kyler Murray hype? What's wrong? You know, does he know something we don't know? Probably. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean, it's uh, everybody – Everybody is going to that. I mean, if you can find a mock draft that's come out in the last three weeks that doesn't have Kyler Murray going to the Cardinals, congrats, because I can't find one. Everybody's going there. So if the Cardinals are, you know, trying to throw people off with this and they're ultimately not going to take him, boy, they're doing a masterful job of it. It's working. Yeah. Yes, it is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know if they are. We'll find out in less than a month. It's uh, four weeks from tomorrow that we, you know, we finally will get some answers to these questions, um, and maybe we'll have answers before that. I mean, if they if they do trade Rosen, I think that's a really clear sign that they're taking him. Um, I know, you know, there was reports today. Joel Klatt says, you know, Chargers, Giants, and Patriots are all interested. No idea if Joel Klatt knows what he's talking about, but made news, so good for him. Um, you know, and we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it. Uh, as I said the last time we talked, you know, it's made the Cardinals a relevant name in football right now, and they got to be loving that because relevance is a huge deal to them. And when their players take their cell phone breaks, they can see that the Cardinals are being, you know, talked about on Twitter. So that's good. Wouldn't it be interesting after everyone, everyone, railed on the Giants for taking Barkley now instead of a quarterback. If they can come back and get Rosen for like a third round pick. It'd be very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even if, I mean, so they've got now, they've got six, 17, and then whatever they are, top of the second round, somewhere, you know, 36, 37, something like that. I mean, I would certainly give up that, that top of the second round pick. And I might even be talked into giving up 17. Because if you if you want if they want Murray or Haskins, you're probably gonna have to trade up from six. I think mm-hmm. somebody's gonna trade up in front of you. If Murray goes one, I think somebody's gonna try to trade up in front of you to get Haskins. So you're gonna have to trade up. Would you give up seventeen to get him? You still have six to take a, a difference maker on defense. Some you know somebody to you get a you know Quinn and Williams or Josh Allen or somebody like that on defense. Maybe I, I probably would do that. What would, I mean, what do you think? I would, absolutely. And here's uh, why. The S- Rosen played enough to get experience, but not so much that he is David Carr. Right. Damaged goods. Damaged goods. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 Agreed. Agreed. I mean, I, I, I think now, I don't know if I said this to you. I, I was talking to somebody, and it might have been you a couple weeks to me. The concern with Rosen, it's going to be that way whether he stays here or not, is this is going to be his fifth different offense in five years. Played for you know three different offensive coordinators at UCLA, 
two actually last year. So it'll be a sixth offensive coordinator in five years of, of you know, college slash pro football. That is the recipe for ruining a young quarterback. It's to, you know, be moving systems that much. But I would still take my chances on him right now. I, I do not think he's damaged goods yet. He's getting close, but I don't think he's there yet. Well, and he, you know, you picked up random Jabril Peppers in that trade. Right, right. And you picked up some extra picks, and apparently uh, Cleveland didn't know the going rate for elite-level receivers was, you know, a third and a fifth. But third and a fifth, right, right, yeah. But I think... Everyone sort of agrees. You need a quarterback. You've got a new system in here. Yes. You're, everyone's saying the right thing for Eli, but if they really believe that, then they don't belong, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, Eli league. is on his last legs uh, if he's got any legs left at all. So, yeah, you've got to have a plan in place for post-Eli. And, yeah, I mean, uh, if, let, let's say you don't take one at six. Somebody moves up, takes Haskins. Maybe they don't want Haskins, whatever. At 17, you're looking at maybe – Maybe Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, somebody like that. If you ask me, would I rather have Josh Rosen or Drew Locke or Daniel Jones? It's Josh Rosen in a heartbeat. Yeah, and it would cost you that pick. That's so. it, exactly. I mean, if that's all it costs you, I would do it now. If if the Cardinals say, "Well, I need that and a future third," no, sorry, you know, I'll give you the first round pick, or I'll give you two thirds, but but not both. But, you know. Um, Call the Cardinals bluff because I, I, you know, the Phoenix media is doing the Cardinals bidding. I 100% certain of that and getting the notion out there that, well, you know, Josh Rosen is really cheap for the next three years. Couldn't they just keep both? I don't believe that for a minute. That yeah, they would actually they, well, keep both. They absolutely could. They, they could. won't. Financially, <laughs> yeah. sure. But, Financially, but then you could. have a problem because every time one guy does something – the, the other guy's going to get asked about it. Because right. everyone's I mean, going to assume they're handing it to Murray. And exactly. You, and I think, sure. correctly. But Yeah, he's the number one <laughs> overall pick. And, and so he's going to be your favorite son. But let's say this. Let's say you really make them compete. You really come in and say, you know what? Open competition made the best man win. Kyler Murray could call the Oakland A's the next day and say, how much money can I have to come back to Oakland? And they give it to him. So then you just wasted the number one overall pick. So I, I just don't believe that for a minute that they'd actually keep both. It's a great idea in theory, but not in practice. Yeah, I, because I'm hundred percent. He could leave, and then you've got you've got a temperamental Josh Rosen who's going to be, you know, not happy that he's been replaced essentially, uh, and a, a distraction for your number one pick. Plus, that essentially means that you used three picks last year and one this year on the same position. He used four draft picks in two years for a position where you can only play one guy at a time. Yeah. Because they traded two picks plus their first rounder last year to move up to get Rosen. Yeah. It, it, it's it, The other thing, if you're on the Giants side of this equation, trying to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, the Giants, the Chargers, and the Patriots have made inquiries. Well, I believe the Chargers would do it. But yeah. we've watched the Patriots basically cave and trade away heir apparent Jimmy G. Jimmy G, yeah. yeah. Because Brady didn't like that. 
Right. Well, I don't think Brady's going to like when he's trying to chase a title and he's just lost the greatest tight end in the history of football right. and any other sport. Right. Um, <laughs> he, he's not going to like the idea of, oh, you're going to trade away an asset for my replacement? No, we're right. not doing that. Guy who's not going to help us this year at all, basically. Yeah, yeah. If if he stays healthy, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I just – it's a good move for the Pats, I would say. I mean, if they could do it, I think it's a smart move. But, yeah, I mean, the Giants, to me, make the most sense um, because it definitely – I mean, Eli's contract is up after this year. It'd be hard to believe they'd bring him back. I think he's probably done after this year. I wish he would have retired already, honestly. As a fan of his, I think it, you know it's past time. Um, so you've got the ready-made situation for him. Um, I would do that trade. And certainly if I could get him for that top of the second round pick, I'd, I'd run to call that in. Yeah. Yeah, and it just makes sense. So I think so. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, it'll be a... Like I said, uh, four weeks from tomorrow, so you know we'll have some more good chatter and and yes, I I have uh, done some reading, some some following. I've I've you know I've watched everyone's pro day, and my God, every one of these quarterbacks is just lighted up on pro day. It's just amazing. I did not expect it to be that good, but it's amazing. I have to say, I didn't see anyone get uh, the broom swipe at them like Manziel had. Disappointing, I know. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I mean, really just... like scouting the broom guy. I know, I know. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm really like amazed by how good these quarterbacks are in a scripted workout with no defense and no pass rush. Like that's that's stunning to me that they're all lighting it up. No one, no one even did the Kyle Bowler, where you, you know, kneel down and throw it through the goalpost. Like, <laughs> no, no, just you know, fifty throws against zero defense, and wow, they all look good. I mean, they, they didn't take any sacks. They didn't throw any interceptions. They uh, they did a great job of moving around in the pocket. I mean, I am impressed. Well, we're going to do our full draft stuff in the near future. We're also going to break down what keeps happening in the tournament. Yep. Uh, we might even talk a little WrestleMania. Who knows? But uh, We should. We should. I was going to say that for this week, but we have one more week before. So we, we just do a little WrestleMania look ahead next week. Yeah, our go-home show. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Until next time, he's Matt. I'm Ben. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast.